Thank you for tuning in to this message from Kingdom Airs International, headquarters located in Flagstaff, Arizona.
and absorbing not only Genesis 6 like he directed us to, but all of, all of Torah. I want us to just um, position our hearts in that place of gratitude. That yes, the press is absolutely excruciating. But we know that he's not bringing the press and the pressure to just leave us to ourselves or to expose how awful we are. But he will allow that press to come to flood out everything in us in order to release the authentic. So if it feels like Torah and every single Torah portion is exposing and lining up with inside of you every part of your life and every, I mean, if it's him showing how connected he wants to be to the hatred in our hearts, let it be. Because in order for us to walk as people who look like him and who truly walk with, with truth, in order for us to move, I mean, what we just talked about on Wednesday, to move out into our city, to own this home, is to operate in kingdom DNA. We have to be able to have every part of earth pressed out of us in order to operate like he does. So take tonight as a real place of like, if you have the opportunity to sit here and allow truth yeah. to be released over you, to expose yeah. and press it out, and to flood out all that's not of him, yeah. arc yourself to the beginning. Yeah. Arc yourself to the truth of the scroll over your life, the destiny over, over what you're here for. Don't take night flight tonight lightly. That's really Hold good. on to every word because there is a press that happens for the word that's released. We do have a mother and father who will stand in a place to be absolutely crushed and pressed to release truth. So take that. It's very, very expensive oil. Yeah. Do not take it lightly. Yeah, yeah. that's good. Thank you guys for your for going through the crushing first. Amen. Um, before we get started tonight with our Torah reading and communion, we're gonna have Mom light the Shabbat candles. But I want to say something before she does that, and it's kind of this the same thing that Missy's talking about. And kind of speaks to how, you know, the pressure that that we're talking about tonight and and everything that's been said is that how alive this is. We've all been reading each Torah portion leading up to Friday. And then Friday we teach on it. We give insight into it. And it clarifies what's been read over the week. And it just hit me that the reason why this is so hard and the reason why people may not want to the their default or their natural inclination may not be to press into that is because we're we're reading the Torah, yes, but every time you engage in a Torah portion, the Torah is actually reading us. <laughs> And 
And that's, it makes sense why every single week we talk about how alive this is because we are opening ourselves up to the Word that's alive to come into our life and read us as part of the process of making us blameless and righteous and being able to walk with Him. One of the reasons I believe Mom specifically can dispense the way that she does not, it's not because she's reading the Torah and studying. It's because she is an open book for the Torah to read her. If we are open to let the Torah read us, we will understand at the end of the week in a greater way than we would if we're just reading it as an assignment and then showing up to hear what somebody else thinks about it. So I want, I want mom to go ahead and light the Shabbat candles and I want us to think about that. And we're going to get into some, just as every week has been crazy and a reflection of what's happening and what's going on and what the struggles are, this week is no different and it just gets more and more intense. So as she lights the Shabbat candles, um, Anya will welcome you up unless you wanted to say something. Did you want to sing? Anya, go ahead and come on up and we're going to... Prepare for our Torah reading this week. I was just telling Dad, usually I'll teach on the Talit first. Yeah. But we're just going to enter in, and then we'll, um, we will dispense on that when we are done. So if everybody wants to stand up. These are the genealogies of Noah. Noah was a righteous man. He was blameless among his generation. Noah continually walked with God. Noah fathered three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was ruined before God, and the earth was filled with violence. God saw the earth, and behold, it was ruined, because all flesh had corrupted their way upon the earth. Then God said to Noah, the end of all flesh is coming before me, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. Behold, I am about to bring ruin upon them along with the land. Make for yourself an ark of gopher wood. You shall make the ark with compartments and smear pitch on it, both inside and out. Now this is how you shall make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits, its breadth, 50 cubits, and its height, 30 cubits. You shall make a roof for the ark, and you shall finish it within a cubit from the top. You shall put the door of the ark on it, in its side. You shall make it with lower, second, and third stories. Now I am about to bring the flood, water upon the land, to destroy all flesh in which is the spirit of life from under the sky. However, that is on the land will... Uh, wow, everything that is on the land will perish. But I will establish my covenant with you. So you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. Also, of every living thing, of all flesh, you shall bring two of everything, male and female, into the ark to keep alive with you. Of the flying creatures according to their kind, of the livestock according to their kind, of the crawling creatures on the ground according to their kind. Two of everything will come to you to keep them alive. As for you, take for yourself every kind of edible food and gather it to yourself. 
it will, it will be food for you and for them. So Noah did according to all that God commanded him. He did so exactly. Then Adonai said to Noah, Come, you and all your household, into the ark, for you only do I perceive as righteous before men in this generation. Of every clean animal you shall take with you seven of each kind, male and female, and of the animals which themselves are not clean, two, male and female. Also of the flying creatures of the sky, seven of every kind, male and female, to keep offspring alive on the face of the whole land. For in seven more days I am going to make it rain upon the land, forty days and forty nights, and I will wipe out all existence that I made from the face of the, of the ground. So Noah did all just as Adonai commanded him. Now Noah was six hundred years old when the flood came, water upon the land. So Noah, his sons, his wife, and his sons' wives entered the ark because of the flood waters. Of the clean animals and unclean animals, the flying creatures, and everything that crawls on the ground, two by two they came to Noah, into the ark, male and female, just as God commanded Noah. After the seven days, the flood waters were upon the land. In the six hundredth year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the seventeenth day of the month, on this day, all the water sources of the great deep burst open, and the windows of the sky were opened. Then there was rain upon the land forty days and forty nights. On that same day, Noah, along with Noah's sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, Noah's wife, and the three wives of Noah's sons with them, entered the ark. They, and every animal according to its kind, and all the livestock according to its kind, and every crawling creature that crawls on the land according to its kind, and every flying creature according to its kind, every bird, every winged creature. So to Noah, and into the ark they went by twos, all flesh in which was the spirit of life. Those that came, male and female, of all flesh, came just as God commanded him. Then Adonai shut him in. The flood was forty days upon the land, and the waters increased and lifted the ark, so that it rose above the land. The waters overpowered and became very mighty over the land, and the ark drifted on the surface of the water. The waters completely overpowered the land, so that all the high mountains beneath the entire sky were covered. The water rose fifteen cubits higher as the mountains were covered. All flesh perished. Those that crawl on the land, the flying creatures, livestock, wild animals, all creatures that swarm upon the land, and all humankind. Everything that had, been, that had the breath of the spirit of life in its nostrils, everything on dry land died. So he wiped out all existence that was upon the surface of the ground, everything from people to livestock to crawling creatures and to flying creatures of the sky, they were wiped off the land. Only Noah and those with him in the ark survived. The waters overpowered the land for 150 days. So everybody wants to individually grab their communion elements. <laughs> So remember as we we come individually and we we break we break bread 
that this whole time that we are diving into the original intent and allowing, remember, allowing the Torah to read us. He, the Torah is described as the truth, the way, and the life. We've somewhat studied that, but the Torah is called in several places the truth, the way, and the life, which is why Yeshua said, I am the truth, the way, and the life. They are one and the same. So when Torah reads us, we're actually allowing him, maybe for the first time in our lives, letting him read us to the depth that he has because he's not just a savior or even an elder brother or a friend or or um, he's not just a guy we're in relationship with. He is a man of covenant that carries vows and instructions that demands vows and instructions to be responded to in us. That's what covenant is. And maybe up until this point, he's been a friend, a one-sided relationship for our gain and not understanding him as a covenant person. And so because of his body, we have access for it to be written on our hearts. So when you're ready to take his body, just repeating or saying when you're ready that this Torah portion that was just read, this Torah portion is written on my heart. It's because of his body that they're not just words on a paper, but they are actually inside of us. And tonight I wanted to um, highlight, we haven't talked about it in a while, but looking at that wine bottle to remember that the wine until, the wine is not changing, this wine is until, and this wine is called Eshkol, which actually is wine that is taken from the land called the promised land. And so I want us to activate that when we say this, that everything that we're talking about, I was just telling Anya, it was not an accident that she lost her her mark on that spot. Because what she read was, let me see if I can find where you, everything that is on the land will perish. And then she lost her spot. Then found her spot but I will establish my covenant with you. So, as this Torah portion comes inside of us, what we will say when we drink and seal this is, it is finished. Okay. Um, if you guys remember, uh, kind of the, the reason why I'm opening up service or spending some time to just teach on the Talit um, is just feeling um, ultimately wanting to make something that's private, public, and getting used to the the holiness of what it is that he's, he's, he's bringing, but not wanting it to be something that isn't personal. So wanting to just take some time to be able to teach on, well, what is this Jew thing you're wearing over your head, right? I know none of you guys would think that, but it is so easy for anyone to be able to see that that's, you know, that that is a, you know, from Judaism, but to remember that numbers was dispensed prior to the tribes, right? So we've talked about this before, but a lot of the things that were dispensed were dispensed before a Jew was a Jew. So if it's in numbers and we're learning 
that he has instructions for a reason than wanting to bring forth some of those instructions. And so we've been, I think for the last four weeks, really talking about the tallit and how the tallit, it's, uh, if you guys remember, it's not about the garment itself or the tallit or the, the fabric necessarily, but it's more about, it would just be if you were into football, you were wearing a sweatshirt. It's not about the sweatshirt necessarily, it's about the logo that you're wearing. And so ultimately it's not so much about the fabric, but it's more about the fringes that are on the fabric. That is what represents something. And we've been going over the last four weeks that what this, what this is, is a reminder of who we are, who God is, and what it requires of us to have that kind of relationship. That's all that is entailed in this. And the actual Hebrew for tzitzit is fringe or feather or his hand. And so it's a, it's a symbolic way um, to be able to be close to him on earth by being able to hold on to something. Now, um, it, it's interesting that we even, and I'm not saying that here in this house, but it's interesting that we would even have to teach on this because this is normal to Christianity, prayer cloths or um, things that symbolize something in relationship or when you're in need or your secret place and you have a certain blanket or, or something that represents something that you can hold on to. It's to represent that, you're, that you are under his wing. It actually implies that scripture in Psalms that I am, I am hidden under uh, the wing of the Almighty, that it's not just a lofty concept, but that I actually can activate that in my life. I, I, um, it's almost like a, a feeling of, um, I'm, I, did any of you little ones, maybe even adults, have a stuffy that's like still still with you? I had one, his name was Freddie. Oh look, Anaya has hers. I had Freddie, and Freddie went with me everywhere. It was, a, it was a dog, it was a stuffed animal dog. And he went with me everywhere, including swimming. I mean, my parents had to like re-sew his ear on. I mean, I had him forever. And so I think about that concept, even for our little ones, that we would have something that wouldn't be Freddy or a dog or something that would bring comfort, but that he is the one that would bring comfort and that we would learn at, um, at a young age that I, uh, you know, can, can be with something that would bring comfort. So that's what we've been talking about. We're going to be shifting over the next couple of weeks. The other side of the seat or an, of uh, the tallit, which I've alluded to, is the concept of it meaning authority. So while it is to remind us of his commandments, it's almost like what we've, I'm going to get into this more, but what we've been learning is that what would Jesus do bracelet? It's kind of like a concept of um, having a... Um, The door. <laughs> I'm drawing a blank on what they're called. Masuza. Like you guys all got one. It's kind of like when you leave in and out of a door. It's like you look at that and you remember the Shema. You remember I would that I would love him with all of my heart. I don't leave this house without recognizing that I am passionate and uh, about uh, about loving him with everything. And so it's the same thing. It's like being able to um, to remember his mitzvot, to remember his instructions. It's, it's to be a reminder. And so what we're going to move into is authority. And it's super powerful for us to grab a hold of this. Because if you don't, you miss out on actually a lot of what Yeshua was talking about um, when it talks about the hem of his garment. 
and we miss this. And so I want to bring us to Saul, David and Saul. I'm not going to read all of it, but I'm in 1 Samuel 24. And I just want to read, this is the story where basically David has an opportunity to take Saul out. And he chooses to, and Saul is trying to take him out. So he is well within his right to take this guy out. Uh, And he decides not to do it, but he cuts the corner of his rope. So in verse 5, but afterward, David's conscience bothered him for cutting off the, the edge of Saul's rope. So basically, instead of killing him, he cuts his rope. And so some of us would be thinking, what, what, are, what does he do? You cut his robe? Now, some of us would think that that was just to show him he was near him and he could have taken him out, right? Because that's when ultimately um, Saul turns and says, oh my gosh, my son, you've, ha- you know, you've had mercy on me. But I want to go to verse 20. Oh, let's see if I have that right. Now behold, I know for certain that you will be king. Why would he all of a sudden tell David, now I know that you're going to be king just because he gave him mercy? But the purpose of that was because uh, the robe was a tallit. It was his garment. And there's authority in the hem of the garment. And so what David was actually doing is, I'm not going to take you out, but your authority will be stripped because I will be king. So he was basically not killing him, but he was cutting off his authority, which then stripped him essentially of his royalty, which we're going to get into what a tallit means with royalty. So when you understand that the hem of a garment is symbolic of of someone's authority, especially in a place of kingship or uh, royalty, now you'll understand why the woman with the blood issue said, if I could just get to his hem. Because power went through his hem and to her. Because there was a place of what? Authority by connection. They needed to touch him. They needed to grab a hold of him, but not necessarily even him. And some of us would be thinking, man, if I could be around Yeshua, wouldn't I just like grab onto his waist? But there was just as much of authority in the hem of his garment as in his whole self. And we talked about that, him being like living with it. I mean, he, he slept with it. He, he woke up with it. He, it was his garment. It, it, it was his. And so um, just wanting to rem- not remind us, but to teach into that the actual tassels is the hem of the garment. And for us to understand that that is representative of, of authority. And it's all throughout scripture. And... Um, and then the other thing is, is that uh, those that wore them were more than commoners. Like I said, they were kings, people of, you know, of royalty. And so um, as we step into this, when it becomes personal, like I said, not only is it just a reminder, but it is also, um, it, it's, a place of, it's a place of authority. So it, uh, an example uh, would be a lot of times when I am sent on an assignment, and I don't mean to travel. It could be an assignment to leave my house or an assignment for a phone call or something that I have to engage in. He will take my tallit and put it over me because he's, it's like mantling me with his authority goes with you. And, and, if, and if we can understand that, then what happens is, is that when you're connected with that authority, power can flow. And so... Uh, another huge aspect of the garment and authority. So we're going to be kind of leaning into that over the next couple of weeks, probably talking a little bit about Yeshua because there are multiple scriptures. It's not just the woman with blood, but it's everywhere 
that it's talked about being able to touch the hem of his garment because of his power and authority of what it was that he was wearing. So uh, I think that that is it for that. So before, that's really good. Um, Isn't it such good understanding to just, it just clarifies what it is that we're engaging in to the point to where anybody questioning it out of a place of ignorance, it's like you can not only be confident, but be equipped to to communicate with that, that with them too. Well, let me, I'm sure I'll teach on this, but just because I'm in it and I just want to add this, but you'll also hear Yeshua teach against how long they are. So, so what <laughs> happens is, is when Yeshua gets, he's coming against the Pharisees and saying, look at how long their fringes are. We'll take that as like, well, yeah, because he doesn't want us to wear them while the woman with the blood is touching his garment. So people will look at him like he's hypocritical. What he was getting at is don't be so flamboyant overexerting your power by making your seats so long because it is a personal, does that, does that make sense? And so we have trying to show their authority than just wearing their authority because uh, the, the, the tallit for Yeshua was a common garment. It was, it was common. And so anyways, we'll get into all that authority stuff, but (laughs) that's awesome. Um, so I wanted to, so obviously as we've entered into the night season, before mom gets into the Torah portion teaching, our plan was Torah portion and our identity as the Kahal and the characteristics of that. Um, it's just becoming more and more apparent over the last month that what Yahweh is doing every week and how alive it is and how we're, our family is being read by the Torah he is he he's he's molding us into that and we don't necessarily need to put words to that right now so a couple Fridays ago when mom was teaching and we were trying to debate if I should say anything about the early church I was hesitant to even talk because I didn't want to interrupt the power and the authority of what was being spoken and so we've talked about that and really feel that we just need to primarily focus on Torah portions because of the transition that we're going through and how powerful and deep it is and not really not divide our attention with um, the early Kahal right now. So that's kind of a shift we felt with that and wanted to let everybody know that as we move forward. Yeah, I kept, I think week after week I would get done and I would think, well, next week will be shorter. And I can just tell it just keeps getting more and more intense or deep. And there's so much to it that they're definitely connected, the early church, because in the end, the early church, the early Kahal, he already spoke on this. The early Kahal was not the beginning of the Kahal because by nature, the definition of kahal is to return what was. So if it had to be birthed in Acts, it was a returning of what already was. So ultimately, the dot connecting that we originally saw about the early church or the early kahal was to show how the Torah points to the renewed covenant and the renewed covenant points to the Torah. That being said, it's like the feeling is like, we we know enough about the renewed covenant. We really need to dive into how does the Old Testament 
or the original covenant point to the Messiah in the first place because it's been so ingrained and indoctrinated that it's no longer needed or it's no it's void. But if we don't understand what it was pointing to, then we don't really have a whole lot to grasp. We just want to take some time to be able to really soak into the Torah portions. And ultimately, I want his voice on them. It is is a lot of what I felt was that me taking on Torah portions and then him doing the, the early church and wanting to hear his voice on the Torah portions. So hopefully that's okay everybody but you know we'll see how long you know how long I mean we've got three years in these Torah portions but I mean we do this is a word that's been brewing about the you know the early Kahal but um yeah just really wanting to dive into these because it's it is um uh astonishing I don't know if that's the right word but it's I mean week by week it, I mean, yes, he is reading us individually, but he is absolutely reading Kingdom Heirs yeah. as a house. Yeah. He's saying you want, if, if what I feel in the spirit is, if he's saying if you want to actually put your name on the map, because there are many Kahals with their names on the map, as a Torah observant family, mm-hmm. then we're going to do some work. Yeah. Because he is absolutely reading Kingdom Heirs as a corporate family. <coughs> And I and I talked about this on Wednesday night, but it's the same. It's the same thing. I mean, we're in the middle of a wine skin shift, and with the year of the beginning of the ministry, we are moving into the twelfth wine skin. So he's saying you are entering into a seven-year process where you're going to be taught. That is a bit, and I and I and I talked about the wineskins. It's not out with the old and in with the new, because an old wineskin can be used, but it will be cleaned, and it will be oiled up, in order to be refreshed, to be renewed again, for it to be used. It has to be cleaned out, and it has to be dipped in oil. And so what's happening is, is he knows, obviously. But he knows that the next seven years, there is an outpouring of his glory that is coming in a way that we've never seen. And he will not outpour it on anything that is not dipped in oil or cleaned. Or it will burst. Mm-hmm. So in a way, he's like, you said yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right? Yeah. So, I mean, I'm sure yeah. at the end of all this, we do have some announcements tonight. Um, and so I don't want to be, um, oh, I don't want to, what's the word? I don't want to be lofty or allude that he's reading us, but I want to be plain about how he's reading us. And the reason why is because it's getting so crazy, every, not crazy good, crazy, crazy in every single week that I want us to be prepared for the weeks that are coming. So. Does that make sense? Yeah. All right. So we are in, um, that is crazy in March that we said absorb Genesis 6. Um, I feel like I actually want to start there. Missy, when you said, I'm not going to say it right, but when you said that he sent instructions for a vehicle, I want us to oversee with a filter this entire chapter.
that the instructions for that vehicle was an ark here, but the ark is the Messiah. This is huge because in salvation, the Messiah was the end. But we all know that the ark was not the end of the story. It was only a vehicle to the rest of the story. And Yeshua makes it very clear, I came to show you my father. He is not done when he was on the earth. Because there's more. He is the vehicle. The only way to the father is through me. I am a vessel to bring you to another place. The ark is the exact same thing. That the instructions to this ark is the, is the same thing. So this ark and this whole story is an absolute picture and pointing us to the story of, to the, story of the Messiah. Okay? And then I'm going to do my best to continually bring the redemptive side. And, and Yvonne hit it beautifully that we could look at this as like, you know, he wiped out all of the earth and there's this great punishment. We're going to get into that. But this entire story is outlined by his faithfulness. If I could say this, his faithfulness, I know it sounds like touche, like not touche, but yeah, yeah, he was faithful. But you have to go back to the first Torah portion. He, or the second, first or second Torah portion. He promised Eve, your seed will. I promise that your seed will crush the enemy. The enemy has now corrupted humankind. So he says, he promises Eve. Now, we're going to get into why he had to wipe everybody out. But in the end, he was faithful to still abide by his word. I will make sure that her seed will still bring forth the Messiah. Because we've gone through the genealogies. We know that Noah is the one that was carrying the seed. And we're going to go through it when we get to Shem. Does that make sense? So it's like, yes, there was destruction. But it wasn't like, again, he was this mean God who just decided to get rid of everybody. They were corrupt and rebellious. Mm -hmm. And we're going to get into all that. But I want to just make sure that I'm constantly bringing forth his redemptive character because it, 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 not that it blows me away like I didn't know that, but he's so good that he will not break his word. And that's why we have to understand that when the flood comes and corruption and rebellion get stripped away, and that means Noah lost every single person that was around him, that Mm -hmm. through that loss, it was redemption. Because sometimes we think redemption means Abundant blessing in addition to. We kind of talked about it on Wednesday. Well, are we going to get big? Probably not. Because his redemption doesn't necessarily look like that. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, uh, let me go to the first part of the chapter. Nine. Okay. These are the genealogies of Noah. Noah was a righteous man. He was blameless among his generation. Noah continually walked with God. Stop. 
If you listened to the Torah portions over Voxer, I'm not going to ask who or who didn't, but if you didn't listen, because it's a precept upon precept moment. Last week's Torah portion, I brought about how his goodness will choose someone. Remember two Torah portions ago when I was talking about Cain and Abel and that you have, like between Abel and Cain, you have to be, you have to bring your offering. You have to do what is right, essentially. But then what that can do is put all the pressure on man that I have to be the one that's obedient or else he's just going to knock me out. There is absolutely 100% that's true. Right? Death can be, uh, we, we went through that, you're, you're, you're complacent, you don't listen to his instructions, and you're not really putting your best foot forward when you give his offering. Right? Then it turns into, I'm irritated, I want to be God, and I'm going to prove that, and so I'm going to be angry, and I'm going to kill. Okay, that is real. Next Torah portion, he begins to reveal that out of nowhere, Noah didn't do anything. He says, but Noah. And through Noah, people began to cry on Adonai. There's nothing in last week's Torah portion that says that um, that Noah uh, did any kind of offering, is what I'm saying, that allowed him to have favor on him. So again, you're beginning to learn the different characteristics of God, which is why we have to be Hebrew thinkers. Because if you stop at two, portion, two Torah portions ago and you die on the hill of it's all up to me, You've missed out on half of his sovereignty. You've missed out on half of his character. Yeah. But if you just stay on the hill of, well, he's sovereign, and I guess I can't do anything anyways, and I'm either Noah or I'm not, then you have no you have no authority. It just, it's all he's sovereign, and we're not doing anything about it. It's both. Both sides of who Yahweh is is he needs full uh, participation, and he is fully sovereign. Yeah. Meaning you have nothing to offer. He'll wipe you out. Yeah. It is only about the bl- bloodline. And then on the flip side, that's what I ended last Torah portions with. Like, Noah didn't do anything. Yahweh just said, I'm ready. These people are getting crazy. I've chosen Noah. Out of nowhere. How good. Okay, next Torah portion. Noah was blameless among the people. So which is it, the chicken or the egg? Was Noah blameless, and so Yahweh chose him? Or did Yahweh choose him, and he became blameless? I don't know if it matters. I say yes and amen to both. If he chooses you and says you're (coughs) it, you will be required to walk blameless and without defect. Mm -hmm. And if you are blameless and without defect, he will choose you. Either way, holiness is the foundation. Super powerful. Because this is in the midst of violence and corruption. The earth was filled with violence and corruption. And here's a man who walks righteous, blameless, and actually means with his character was without defect. That is, this is the, when he's talking about letting the portions read you, to have a people that, would understand that our character could be without defect because morning and afternoon and night and the middle of the night and the morning and the afternoon and the night because continually he walked with God. Not on Sundays for our family, not on Fridays, not when it's easy. 
right? He wa- he walked with God. And where have we read this before? Where do, who walked with God? Enoch. And that's a, that's a su- that's super powerful to know that the last. So there's two times. Now this is the third time he's pointing something out to us, you guys. Walk with me. What does walk mean? Sit with me for two seconds and then compartmentalize and go about your way? Right. Walk with me. He walked with them in the cool of the day. That's the first time. Second time, all of a sudden, Enoch is walking with him and he didn't see death. Interesting. Now, Noah, who walks with God, is blameless, without defect, and completely righteous, and chosen to be the the one that brings uh, redemption. I would say that we should, as a people, be so hungry to be like, what does walking with Yahweh mean? Could we be a people so cleaned and oiled that he would find kingdom heirs, that he would find us, find a family that is blameless and without defect. When you line that up to his holiness, you will understand the utter destruction is absolutely applicable. When you line up against his holiness, corruption and violence, to me, it makes perfect sense that he would have to completely wipe everything out. Could we be that, I don't even know if hungry is the right word, but be understand that against the backdrop of his holiness, to be without defect, that it would mean that everything gets wiped out. I, 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 maybe another, maybe not hungry. Fear of the Lord. Yeah. A mm-hmm. fear of Yahweh. That if I'm not found without defect, righteous and blameless and walking with him, that I would not be one of the family that would be hidden inside the vehicle that is going to get me to deliverance. We've learned to cry out for deliverance. And he said, if you, it, it's not a prayer in a bucket. It's a vehicle. But you have to get in the vehicle. And you have to be shut in and locked in. Mm-hmm. Let me add to the the blame. What does it look like to walk blameless? It doesn't mean you're perfect. When blameless in the word means without defect. Defect means lack or forsaking something you should be faithful to. Think of it in terms of somebody defecting. They leave what they should be faithful to. This is what it means to walk with Yahweh. If you're walking with a father who's perfect, how can you lack anything? How can you leave him? How can you actually get yourself into sin if you're constantly walking with a father who instructs you, don't eat that, watch out for that. Don't touch that. Don't mess with that. Embrace this. If you're constantly walking with the Father, it's the way you live. That's what it means, your walk. The word halakha means the way you live. If you're walking with Him and that's your lifestyle, you cannot lack anything. If you don't leave His side, you're literally without defect. If you're with Him, 
you're blameless. And this is a pattern that he knew he could pick Noah because up until that point, Noah had been the type of son among a whole generation, which brings up another point. When people say the law is impossible, no, it's not because Noah in his generation walked with the Lord. And didn't even have the Messiah. And the Lord knew when I give Noah an instruction, he will listen to me before the devastation comes. That is all it is. Mm -hmm. If the Lord gives you instructions and you're walking with Him and you obey His instructions, you will not experience ruin and devastation. So therefore, you will not lack and therefore, you will not leave Him and you will be blameless. If you listen to His instructions and you walk with Him, you are blameless. Nobody can put an accusation on you that you're defective because you're with Him. So that's what it means to walk blameless. And Yahweh knew Noah would do that because he already saw a pattern in Noah his entire life of walking mm -hmm. that way. And of course, righteousness means right standing. And so what we're learning is his instructions of how to be righteous. Not that we we have access through we have access to righteousness through the Messiah. Can't do it on your own, but because of the Messiah, you do have the ability to actually be righteous. Not the Messiah to excuse unrighteousness. Right. Mm -hmm. It's that you can walk righteous and that it is possible and it can be done, which is why he said he said that he could do it. And so to be in right standing is basically to be without sin. And we we have learned that sin is this concept of whatever someone thinks sin is. Sin is not obeying the law. That is sin. That is what separates. Not obeying his instructions is sin. He came, bless you, he came... And because he died, he erased the penalty of not obeying, but did not erase that you're not supposed to obey. So you, you, you are free from the penalty of sin. Well, what is that? Of obeying his instructions, but not free to just not obey his instructions. That's what being righteous is and walking with righteousness on the earth. So now if, if you look at the, the Torah portion, the opposite, he just described blameless and we described righteousness. The opposite of blameless and righteous would be corrupt and violent. Mm -hmm. So if you don't know what it is, the opposite would be, we're not going to get in, into this tonight, but if you, you begin to dissect violence, the, the word is Hamas. When you begin to, to dissect violence and you begin to dissect uh, rebellion and corruption, it's, it, it, you begin to be able to see the two paths. Because they're complete opposites. It, going back to the Cain and Abel, he, murder in one generation came about because he thought he lacked. Mm -hmm. 
so there so violence is the complete opposite of of abundance okay um i i want to i want i want to hone in on this this is the this is the bad side <laughs> and then i'm going to bring his redemptive side but here's why i'm doing this if we don't understand I'm just going to call it the negative or the bad side. If we don't understand the negative or the bad side of Yahweh, we will not understand the redemptive side of Yahweh. You can't have nothing in redemption. You have to know what you're being redeemed from to have gratitude and honor for redemption in the first place. Yeah. So in order to understand redemption, you have to understand what you're being redeemed from, which is not a, it, 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 it's not a good, it's not a good thing. Okay. So I want to, I, I, I want to, I want to just be pretty abrupt with this, which is obvious, but there are uh, two things I want to talk about because Yahweh in this chapter is showing you how he views sin. Now, obviously, this is not a fire, hell, and brimstone preaching message and you're going to hell. That's not what this is about. But sometimes I think we get lost in his goodness that we forget he has an opinion about sin. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We cannot be this loving, gracious, amazing family and be walking unholy because he's, 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 he's cleaning us to be righteous. And so I want us to understand how he views sin and remembering that the definition of sin is, is disobeying his, his, his instructions, disobeying his law. <coughs> First of all, it's, I want to make sure I get the words right, because this was just so powerful. Um, first thing I want to point out is when you're in sin, okay, this chapter is showing us that mankind's sinful condition could not be dealt with on their own. Because if he had another way of doing it, he would have just told them, I'll walk with any of you that choose to, and you'll eventually get clean, and everything will be fine, and I won't have to wipe you all out. I mean, that's the God we want. If you think about your last week, that's the God we want. Yeah, that is. That's who we think he is. Right, that's the God we would want, right? You you don't yeah. have a good week, and you're 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 sinful, and so then we think, well, but eventually I'll walk with you, and then you'll choose me, and then everything will be fine. And God. He, he, Yahweh is showing us, I have an opinion about sin. And what I'm saying to you is, is when your heart is, is, is goes down the path of violence and rebellion and corruption, when you go down that road, you cannot do it on your own. I'm going to have to take care of it. This shouldn't be abnormal. We did growing kids God's way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. My kids on their own are not going to hear me be like, but eventually I need you to choose right. And then they just wake up one day and they're like, I would like to walk like mom. Yeah. There are, there's consequences and there's, there's pain and there's different things that we do to be able to show that it has to be worked out. It has to be dealt with. My point is, is that mankind apparently by this time was not able to do it on their own. So he had to step in and take care of it. And then his opinion about sin is that it is, um, I'm wanting to use these words because it just hit me like a ton of bricks. Sin is entirely contrary 
to God's nature. I mean, we, we know about this in Revelations. I'll spit it out if it's lukewarm. He's not like, well, I mean, some of the law, and then maybe over here, I'll, right? Like, it, it, sin is completely and entirely contrary to his nature. It is impossible to dwell in sin. Yeah. The kingdom. The kingdom. It is impossible to dwell with sin. That's why when he steps on the scene, there's an immediate teshuva or a turning from because it's us remembering where where we were because it's not like he'll... he'll well, I said I was presenting the bad side, so is this okay? He's not going to sit in bed with you and watch you and be like, the two kingdoms do not mesh. It cannot mesh. I'm not saying that that means, I mean, I'll get to his redemptive side, but I want us to (coughs) get a hold of that too, because if I, you know, I'm more of the passive like, but, but we have to get this if we want to walk holy. Because his, 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 his nature is holy and it cannot dwell. Now, the reason why I say that is because his purpose, his heart is to commune with his people. That's the redemptive side of him. He wants to dwell. It's why he kept doing what he was doing in the Tanakh. It's why he sent his son. It's why he's coming back. His heart is to dwell, but he's saying, I cannot do it. Mm-hmm. I am holy and you will match me. I will not match you. He is not going to lower his standard to be able to abide with you. He says you can abide with me and me alone, which means you're going to match my frequency, my lifestyle, my house, my rules. Not the other way around. A parent does not tell the child, whatever you say, whatever your rules are, whatever you think the DNA should be, then I will dwell with you. It is I am the the ruler. And he wants us to line up our ruler with him is what I'm getting at. And what sometimes... um, we need to understand that his opinion about sin was was that crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Because he ultimately then had to wipe out the entire earth. He had to start all over again. Okay? So the second thing is, is his anger. <clears throat> his righteous anger, he will take severe, severe measures to make sure his holiness prevails. And that is a side that we don't necessarily like to say about him. But yeah. if we don't understand that that's who he is, then we won't understand who he is on what he provides for us. He will, he will produce punishment and justice to make sure that he has a people who are holy so that he can dwell with them. He wants his people to look like him. And up until this point, there was corruption and there was violence and and the earth was filled. And so he decided, I've got to wipe all this out. Does that that make sense? That just that one thing, this isn't just a historical story that we can somewhat learn. For me this week, what does this mean for me this week? Mm -hmm. Let me me explain why I can do this. (laughs) If Yeshua is active and alive today... Right? Yes. 
then when we read when he was walking the earth, how come we can apply him walking the earth and who he is and be alive today? That means I can apply who Yeshua is and here. If Yeshua was known before the foundation of the earth, and we say that he's active and alive right now, and he wasn't just on the earth during that time frame, then we can also say that he can be applied during this time as well. So when it's reading us, we're not just reading a historical story for some insight. We're trying to apply the story and the ark and the flood into, into, my, into my life. Mm-hmm. And I, I, want, I want to understand his anger and his punishment and his justice for holiness in my life. Because if I don't understand it, then when I'm punished, I'm going to accuse him and blame everyone else and blame him when in reality it is his justice and his and his goodness that is providing punishment to create a holy vessel. Yeah. 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 Okay. So the redemptive side of Yahweh. And I've already said this. He his promise, he is faithful. Because he he basically said, I'm not going to break my word. I'm going to let the seed, I'm, I'm going to preserve the seed. So in the midst of corruption and in the midst of violence, to be able to have, to, to know that you have the ability in the midst of corruption and in the midst of violence to walk with God, be righteous and be blameless, he will give you instructions to get into the vessel. Because he is faithful. Let me, I just want to receive, I'm just going to read this right now. This will make sense now. When you read the book of comfort, which is in Isaiah. Though the mountains depart and the hills be shaken, my love will not depart from you nor will my covenant of peace be shaken, says Adonai, who has compassion on you. That scripture is talking about in the days of Noah. And to understand that he's faithful to a word shows us who he is, that he's not going to break, he's not going to break his promise, even in the midst of utter destruction. And then... Um, the other thing is, is more, more genealogies because we know that he, he birthed three sons. Shem was one of them. Shem means name. And we know that Abram comes from Shem. So this whole chapter is pointing us to the descendants that are going to bring about something in the future. So remembering that he's faithful to a promise to get us to a place to only show us that more is to come. He is, he, his redemptive character is that he will secure and honor a promise that he's given you in the past to secure you in your now, but only to show you that more is to come. And this is powerful for us to understand because we may think in an instant, redeem me. Yeah. But he gave him instructions. 
Yeah. Right? I mean, we want his redemptive character. So we're like, well, wow, there's all this righteousness. You know, you can totally fall into pity. I've been blameless and without defect this whole time walking with you. And all there is is utter destruction and, and violence. And, and, and you found favor upon me. Thank you for your favor. I mean, thank you for your favor for telling me how to build while I shut in <coughs> family and watch utter like utter destruction get wiped away. You know what I mean? Like you could it's so easy to put yourself in that story and be like, how would I respond? Be like, thanks a lot for your redemptive work. You give me instructions. Now I gotta actually build I gotta build. And obviously look like a fool. A boat when I've never seen rain. There's no rain. There's never been rain. I mean, I mean, you're gonna look like a fool. Here's my redemption. You gotta be blameless. You have to be without defect. You gotta walk with me. You're gonna have to live amongst utter corruption and and violence. And then I'm gonna give you instructions. And you're gonna have to be obedient to my instructions. And then you're gonna have to build for something you don't even know what I'm talking about. And then you gotta show it to the world because it's really big. And you're gonna get made fun of, and you're gonna get accused. You're gonna, and then, and then, right? Come on, that's good. Right? You're, you're, you're I mean, yeah, I, I mean, maybe it's just me, but I feel like that, that's not, that's not really redemption. <laughs> I think I'd rather be the creepy crawly thing that gets completely wiped out. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, let, I don't, I, I, anyways, yeah. right? And then, and and then, let's just say, let's just say, Noah's family's kingdom heirs. Then you're gonna, you're gonna stick me in the vessel and shut the door. Think about it. But seriously, think about it. There were animals in the ark that obviously were predator and prey. How did this work? Clean and unclean. Yeah. Family. And he just shuts the door and says, you're, you're my redemption vessel. <laughs> so think about that. Now, now think about the waters. Okay, we, we think about the waters. Think about um, the analogy to, not, not really an analogy, but think about baptism. You know, think, think about the waters and what baptism does. And you rise in the waters. You know, I'm, I'm just like, I'm assuming if they're in the ark and it's raining for 40 days and 40 nights, that probably doesn't feel like a baptism, yeah. right? Because we're like, amen, I'm going under and then I'm going to rise again. And it's like, no, you're going under for a year, yeah. right? And then when yeah. you rise, you know, so, the, so you, just, you, got to, you have to insert yourself into the story. And so his redemptive uh, promise is that uh, this entire thing is completely prophetic. The ark is prophetic. The ark is a picture of the Messiah himself. The instructions, and, and I mean, think about who is the Messiah? He's the ark that is going to be able to lift you up above the destruction. He's the vessel that's going to get you onto yeah. onto different ground. Yeah. But you've got to get in him. Yeah. You cannot be on the mountain wondering, I wonder if that's going to work. Yeah. Yeah. You'll get wiped away. Good. And you can't be corrupt and violent in him. You have to be blameless and all of that. You're going inside. And then what does he do? He shuts the door. 
and sticks you inside of them and says, you can't go anywhere now. Right? So, so this, so this is who he is. This is, this is walking in a life with him that the Messiah again is a vessel. He is a vessel. He is the ark to bring us to the place. So, um, and, and I've already said this, but the, the backdrop of all of this is that the goal of Yahweh is that he wants to commune with his people. That is his ultimate goal. He wants to dwell. He wants to commune. That was the whole purpose of why he set apart a family or else he would have just started all over. But one, he couldn't break his promise. And number two, he wants to dwell with his people. And he and he's saying through this uh, bloodline, something is coming to bring an answer for me to go back to the original intent, which is to commune with my people. So yes, he will destroy evil, but we can't blame him for that. We're the ones that are evil. We're the ones that walked away from his righteousness. He, But his redemptive character is, I want to be with my people, but I want them to know that they are to look like me, that they are to be in my likeness and in my image, that they are made in my likeness and in my image. If we're not in his likeness and in his image, then we're not his people. He doesn't, he doesn't want to dwell with that. So he wants to dwell with his image and in his, and, and, and his likeness. And so that is the whole backdrop of all of this, of why he even did that, why he's doing all of this in the first place. And so there's one more thing that I want to just uh, touch on that I felt led to do. Part of this is not me teaching what I learned, but teaching you how you could be taught. If that makes any sense. This is just how I, this is how I read the word. So I think that it's significant that when he gives the instructions that he says, let me find it. He says, I want you to make an arc that's 300 cubits and breadth 50 cubits and height 30 cubits. And then I want it to be three stories high. So this is just how I, this is how I read the word. I don't skip over things like that. I'm like, why? Why 330, 50? Why, why these numbers? And then um, the first thing that stands out to me is that there's four dimensions. He, he talks about um, the roof and you shall finish it within a cubit from the top. You shall put the door of the ark and you shall make it with a lower second and third stories. So to me, this is the breadth, the height, the width, and the depth. So I'm immediately taken to Ephesians 3.18 that says my love yeah. is four-dimensional. Because now I'm understanding the ark is the Messiah. If he's the truth, the way, and the life, and he says that my, my, my love is four dimensions, then what, why, were the instru- why were the instructions given in four dimensions? So what I, what, I, what I did was I looked up the numbers 350, 30, and 3. And then I basically went, I looked up the Hebrew letters for those numbers and then created a sentence in that to help remind me about this Torah portion. Does that make sense? So, remember I brought two sides. I brought his redemptive character and I brought his anger. Okay, so I'm going to give the anger side. The, the letters for 350, 30, and 3 are Shin, Nun, Lamed, and Gimel. So what I got from that is that, um, and I just wrote down the words, so you'll have to like Bear with me as I say this, but he will destroy the offspring in order to teach 
are about our pride. So if you think about the ark in that way, the directions, the instructions that he said to build was basically a vessel that says, I'm going to destroy any offspring to teach about to, te- to teach on pride, to teach about their pride. That's crazy. The flip side, same letters. This is what is so powerful. He is multidimensional. It's going back to 101 about being Hebraic. Because if I stay there, I'm going to be like, so he he's going to destroy my offspring to teach about. I mean, yes, but there's also another there's also another side. Exact same letters, exact same words. So both sentences are right. But what is he saying to you right now? And in one second he's going to talk about destroy, destroying pride. And in the next second, he's going to be talking about protecting. Okay, so the other the other uh, sentence is El Shaddai will be faithful to his heirs to move them forward by lifting them up. How can the ark be built as a vessel that destroys pride and protects his heirs to move them forward? That's crazy. All in one. Hmm. I mean, obviously, in one chapter, so. That's like mind-blowing. I want to kind of bring a practical aspect, and and obviously this has been happening every week since we began this, and it will probably continue to happen because there's an element of wanting to equip you guys, and and Mom talked about it earlier, moving forward. If we have gone for four to five weeks to where this word is so alive, and we, we are being read as a house for the purpose of things being identified to be processed through on an individual basis, whatever. If that's been happening, then it's probably going to continue to happen because that's what he's doing. Um, and I want, to be, I want to be blunt about this. When, when Yahweh gave instructions for them to build an ark, they built it, they built it to the point of completion to where Yahweh himself shut the door. They didn't like reel the door in. Yahweh shut the door. And when it says he shut the door, it literally means he delivered them. So their their deliverance was sealed by them being obedient to his instructions. Like in a way, before the ruin came, they were already delivered because they obeyed him. And the ark was a specific vessel that could accommodate everything necessary for them to get to the other side of the flood. Now, the the ark in this sense is a vehicle to get you through your process to the other side. I, I want to be confident and bold and tell you guys that with what he's bringing us through 
this family is an ark that can accommodate everything that he has for you on the other side of the flood. And like she said, you can't you can't take the time to sit on the sideline and wonder, well, let me see how this works out. There we've been dealing with different battlefields, right? You guys hear us talk about that all the time. And in this week, we have been trying with this there's been this battlefield that is trying to pull us into itself that is essentially saying that is um let me criticize the ark i i want you guys to hear something if our obedience him shutting the door was deliverance which means them being obedient to build the ark was their deliverance there was no well is the ark there was no questioning or adding or well, I don't think that's going to work. There, rain isn't even a thing. Yeah. And this, this week, we have specific people claiming that there are nameless families that are saying we're going down the wrong direction. We need a course correction. We need... So, and it's in criticism of how... The house is being run. Now, I don't say this. We don't normally... I wouldn't normally put this out here like this. But I I don't want any of us to be the one watching Noah being like, look at this idiot. Let me... What is this guy doing? He's... You know, I'm over here maintaining the right thing I should be doing. And what is this guy doing? Because if Yahweh called you here, if He set you here, if you're obedient to what this house is going through, then your deliverance is in that. If you step back and, and take a position to criticize, it's going down the wrong path. You know, and when I ask, well, who are these family? Oh, I, I don't know. It's a mystery. I don't know. And I almost... I don't know how far I want to go with this. Let me just go back to what I was saying. Their their obedience is what allowed him to seal their deliverance before the destruction came. And for in order for him to establish covenant, there are going to be some things that you that that you have in your life that are going to be ruined. Like we can attest to that. There have been times in our life where it's like we choose covenant and things fall to ruin. Things are subject to destruction. It's it's divestment. Yeah. In order to gain covenant, there are going to be things that you you can no longer engage with, right? Except Yahweh's just making the decision for you out of your obedience to him, some things will fall to ruin. So the reason why I bring up this other battlefield of 
If I'm going down a course of we're, we're, in, we're building an ark, that's what's happening here. This is an ark for the purpose of deliverance. And yet, there's, there, this is reading us, and in this week, things are being stirred up to criticize the process of obedience that is ultimately for our deliverance. It's just a vehicle, right? I'm not elevating kingdom heirs to the status of the Messiah. It's just a vehicle to get you through your process to the other side. Although it does symbolize Yeshua, right? It's a type of that. But I want our family to know that because it's like this is... We, we cannot make this stuff up. This, this is... We are not leading this. This is leading us yeah. finally for once. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it has not been pretty. Right. It has not been easy. Yeah. Right? It's a tough process. And everything that was talked about tonight and that sound of those waves and that, I mean, man, that's what it has felt like for the last month. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I just want us to to think about, and we've said it before, the reality of what is what is taking place and what we have prayed for. I believe every single one of us has prayed to be closer to Yahweh, to you know, to really be in covenant, and we're transitionaries and we're the remnant. And you can't say that stuff without him being like, Okay, sit down. Let me look at you. Let me you know. I don't know. Um, we just have to be careful as a family. And, you know, part of this whole process is, th- is people being wiped out. So, like, where, you know... Where are we going to be at if we're if if we're on the wrong battlefield of criticizing the ark? Then we're not focusing on being obedient to what Yahweh said as as stepping into the thing that's going to that's get, that He gave us to get us to the other side. Thank you for listening to this message from Kingdom Heirs International. If you have received insight and revelation with this message, we invite you to claim that revelation by trading on the trading floor with this ministry. You can do that at kingdomheirsflag.org. Thank you.